church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Dressed in red. God's gonna trouble the water. Looks like the band that Moses led. God's gonna trouble the water. Whoa, way in the water. Way in the water, children. Way in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week as we take up our discussion on salvation history. Only tonight, I'm going to take a slight break from A Father Who Keeps His Promises, our traditional study on salvation history, to address some feedback from somebody who's new to my website, catholichack.com. Just this week, I was very, very blessed to be featured in an article in the Houston Chronicle, which is the major newspaper for the city of Houston, which is uh, the third or fourth largest city in the country. So this was a great blessing. And uh, this article uh, generated some feedback to me through through email and through uh, messaging and other avenues. And one of the the, the persons who, who sent me some feedback through a comment on my website, you know, had some very serious questions. How can you proclaim the Catholic Church when there's just so much wrong with it, when so many people are leaving it? That's a very good question, and I think that is worthy of discussion. And so that is what we'll talk about tonight. That intro song was Wade Into the Water from the album We Are the Beggars from Ike Nalo. Now, I hope I got Ike's name correct. I, I simply don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelled N-D-O-L-O. I'm assuming it's Nalo with the D silent, but if I got it wrong, Ike, please forgive me. You can check out a link to Ike's website and more on his stuff at catholichack.com, my site. Just look for the show notes for this episode, which I will call God's Gonna Trouble the Water, because that's what we see all the time. So check that out at catholichack.com. 
But before we begin tonight's discussion, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All praise and glory and honor be to you, Almighty God, forever and ever. We come to glorify you, to worship you, to study your word, to be enlightened by you. Send forth your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, to fill our discussion. May it praise you and you alone. We pray especially for the people of God everywhere, to unify all believers, for the conversion of sinners, for life from conception to a natural death, for the sacrament of marriage for our Pope, our bishops, our priests, deacons, and all the lay faithful, and all those who are entrusted to govern us. May you convert their hearts and guide them on the path to righteousness and holiness. We pray for Our Lady to intercede for us all. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, that question, that that very critical question that so many faithful especially in the Catholic Church, but in other ecclesial communities, if you will. How can you proclaim the Church? In this case, we'll stick to the Catholic Church. How can you proclaim the Catholic Church when there are so many problems, so many people leaving, so many who are doing wrong? In some cases, very heinous crimes, right? I mean, give me a break. I mean, haven't we seen all of this sex abuse scandal around the world? I mean, how can you proclaim the church amidst all of that, right? Well, those are good questions, and not without merit. I mean, we've all seen hypocrisy. I mean, if we're honest with each other, I'm a hypocrite in many ways. And I think we all are, right? So the church is not without hypocrisy, and that's part of the answer. But let's speak generally here. Yes, there are sinful bishops, there are sinful priests, there are sinful lay folk. There are heinous crimes committed in the church. There are hypocrites and hypocrisy all the time and have been in every generation, at every parish, in every church around the world. That's true. So does that mean that because there are hypocrites, because there is sin going on within the church, that all that the church teaches is somehow therefore wrong? incorrect, not valid, has no credibility? The church, has she lost her voice? Should we leave the church because of such hypocrisy? No. The answer is no. Well, why not? Well, the answer to that problem, believe it or not, I cannot leave the church because of the church itself. The church as sacred scripture and sacred tradition tells us, is the body of Christ. Ephesians 5 makes that very clear. And so does Revelation 21. The body of Christ is the bride. Now, we've seen plenty of biblical references, stories of of people in scripture who mutilate marriage all the time. We've talked about that on the show on many occasions. And so the metaphor of marriage is still a valid one. Marriages, they are troublesome. They are tricky things. If you've been married for any period of time, you know what I'm talking about. I myself am coming up on our 
10-year anniversary with my wife this year. And let me tell you, it is very difficult to remain married. It's not easy. And in the marriage with our Lord, the only perfect one is Him. (laughs) And this side of heaven, we will not see perfection. We will be purified through the fire of God's love, that we might enter into it, heaven, into that one union with our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity for all eternity, that he will be our God and will be amongst us, that that apocalypsis, that unveiling, that revelation of that marriage supper of the Lamb, we have to go through a purifying so that we might become pure ourselves before we can enter into it perfectly. Well, that doesn't happen on this side of the heavenly veil. And so let us take a quick look, a quick jaunt through God's economy of salvation. The kahal, which is the Hebrew word used for church in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's called ekklesia, the church through time. It starts, of course, with Adam and Eve there in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Adam being anointed with the very breath of God. You know, he's set up as a ministerial priest put there on the mountain in the garden sanctuary to keep and to till that sanctuary, that holy of holies of the cosmic temple. He's also set up as a king, presiding and and possessing the dominion over all creatures and over the created world. He has to go and fill it to be procreative, you know, to enter into his wife, into that one flesh union, and to bring forth life to fill and dominate the earth. He's also, in a way, set up as a prophet, because by his own actions, it points to that day that Adam is the first, he's the first Adam. Well, there is a second Adam, as the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us, that the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ, is made, okay? He created the first Adam in his own image and likeness. And so, the the last Adam makes the first Adam, and that first Adam, he falls from grace, He was made in grace, not possessing any sin. He was not born or created in sin. No, he was was created blameless, but he fell from this grace. And by his own actions, he points, as a prophet does, to the fulfillment, which is the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And it will be through this pointing, this prophetic, uh, this, uh, this vision, Pointing to that last Adam, Adam was cast from the garden to toil with sweat dripping from his head onto the earth that he worked so hard to bring forth its fruit. Our Lord, in a garden, the garden of Gethsemane, will drop tears of or sweat of blood from his head onto the earth. He will take upon himself the thorns and the thistles that Adam was cast out into. Our Lord takes upon that rejection, that condemnation. Adam was cast from this garden, and the way to the tree of life was blocked by a a fiery sword-bearing cherubim. Our Lord, in the garden of Gethsemane, commands Peter to drop his sword, thus opening the way to the the true tree of life. For on that tree our Lord would be hung, and he is the fruit of the womb that gives life for the world, because he will give us his, his body and his blood, that if we eat, we shall have life, and on the last day he will raise us up. He becomes 
the fruit of the tree of life. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, telling Peter to drop that sword, he opens the way to that tree. You see, all who come to our Lord, they never hunger, they never thirst, as he gives his body and his blood. Eve, who was called the mother of the living, she was created also without the stain of sin from the side of Adam. Okay, this mother of the living, she, because of her actions, also falls from grace, and she is given that proto-evangelium, the first good news in Genesis 3.15. Quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That he is Satan himself, who, through the guise of a created creature, who is lower than mankind, who has dominion over creatures, comes in as the great Nahash, the serpent who bullies Adam and Eve and threatens them, and they succumb because Adam had a choice, save your flesh or save your soul. He chooses to save his flesh and gives up his soul. Our Lord, also bullied by the great Nahash, he chooses to give up his flesh to save our souls. And that same Nahash, that same serpent in Revelation 12, chases Our Lady, the new Eve. Only she does not succumb. She does not choose to die over to live. No, instead, she becomes the true mother of God. She bears the, the, the true last Adam, the man who will bring life to the world, unlike the first Adam who brought death to the world. Our Lady is the true Theotokos. She is the God-bearer. Okay? She's the fulfillment of the tabernacle, the Ark of the New Covenant. As If you were to compare Luke chapter 1 to 2 Samuel 6, the comparisons are uncanny. The parallel is phenomenal. She becomes the new Ark because within her womb is the law, is the rod, is the, the true high priest. He is the true manna come down from heaven. Okay, so Mary is also born without sin. She is born immaculate. She can be the new Eve. She, her yes, unties the knot of Eve's no in disobedience. Mary becomes the virgin, that young woman who would bear Emmanuel, God in the flesh, who condescends himself, comes down from heaven, take a, taking upon himself the, the flesh of mankind to tabernacle amongst us. That's John 1.14. And the, the virgin is Isaiah 7.14. So we go from the first couple, Adam and Eve, in salvation history, and we move to the first family in Noah and his wife and his sons and his sons' wives who were saved in an ark through water when all else were taken away, they were left behind. Okay? Remember that every time somebody says there's rapture in Scripture and they, they quote that famous passage about being left behind. Well, Noah is the context and reference and he's left and everybody else is taken. It is Noah and his sons who are left behind. We move from Noah and the first family who are the recreation, the new creation, Noah standing in the place of Adam. 
and God recreating, bringing new life, new creation out of the murky depths of the water, like he did in Genesis 1. Now we move into the first tribe with Abraham, who was called out of the wilderness and stepped out in faith, and he is he represents the, the priesthood of the firstborn. And his faith is counted as righteousness, who would offer his only son, Isaac, as sacrifice to God, because God asked him to. But at the last moment, God stays his hand through an angel and says, No, 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 you won't offer your son. No, I will offer my son. And it just happens to be on the very same mountain. For on that mountain of Moriah, Isaac carried the wood of the sacrifice up that mountain and allowed himself to be laid upon and bound upon that very wood. But on that same mountain, our Lord would carry the wood upon his back for the sacrifice, allowing himself to be bound and placed upon that wood. Only it would be his sacrifice. And he would go through with it so that appeasement for an eternal offense against an eternal God would be made by an eternal sacrifice, the God-man who took upon himself the flesh and the burden of the sins of the world. So we move from that first tribe into the first nation under Moses, led by the pillar of fire and smoke out of the land of Egypt and slavery, crossing through the water of the Red Sea, feeding his people with bread that came down from heaven and water from the rock which is struck. Moses is the giver of law on the mountain of Sinai, taking the priesthood away from the firstborn and giving it to the Levites because it was the Levites who remained obedient when all else turned back toward the pagan gods of the Egyptian to worship that golden calf in that orgy sacrifice there at the foot of the mountain because they lost hope, because they turned their hearts back towards the gods that God had slayed in the ten plagues. And so the Levites went through and slaughtered the leaders of that rebellion. And because of their obedience, the priesthood, the share in God's ministry is given to them. And notice, they do not inherit any land in the land when they go into the land, the people of Israel, when they move into the land of Canaan, the land is divided up to each of the twelve tribes except for the Levites. They're not given any share in the land. No, because their share is given in the priesthood, in sharing in the ministry. So all of that takes place through this first nation of peoples, through their the lawgiver of Moses, as our Lord comes out of the land himself as a, as a baby sent there to be protected against the slaughter of the innocents, much like Moses, who was also protected from the slaughter of the innocents against an evil king. Our Lord leads us out of sin and slavery. Our Lord, greater than Moses, walks on top of the water and not through it. He gives the true bread come down from heaven. In John chapter 6, it is his body and blood that is the true manna. And the true water from the stricken rock, our Lord, is that stricken rock. He gives water of life, and who drinks this water shall never thirst again. The water that comes from the foundation stone that the builders rejected, giving the perfected law also on a mountain in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. 
he takes the priesthood away from the Levites this time and gives it to the new Israel under 12 new patriarchs. The, the firstborn is back. The ministerial priesthood is given to the apostles. And he arises to heaven after his resurrection on a cloud. That same cloud that came down upon Mount Sinai is the same cloud that takes our Lord up into heaven, that he sits down at the right hand of the Father in glory, perpetually, standing as a lamb slain in Revelation 5. And then he sends down the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, down upon his church, the ecclesia, in Acts chapter 2, in fire, in the pillars of fire. So we move away from Moses and the nation of the people of God. Now we move into, into the kingdom of God, under Saul, who rejects God as the first king. And that, that Rudy boy David, the least of his brothers, the smallest of all of them, he himself would grow up to be a great king, loved and feared simultaneously, building this kingdom, setting the stage for his own son. David would be the only man called the friend of God, even though he would commit adultery and murder. It's been said, and I've heard this through Scott Hahn many times. He says, quote, I would sin like David if I could only repent like David. David is the friend of God. But because of his sin, he is not allowed to build the Bethel, the house of God. No, that would fall to his son, Solomon, who would be renowned for his wisdom in all of his kingdom and all the land. They would come from far away to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And his grandeur was immense. His wealth and stature impressed all those who came from afar. And he would build this temple and consecrate it to God. And God would fill this temple with the Shekinah glory cloud, that same cloud that came down on Sinai and that same cloud that would take our Lord up into heaven. This Shekinah glory cloud fills the temple, the Bethel, the house of God, the place where God dwells amongst, ma amongst man. As our Lord would be announced by an angel coming to his mother, calling her the Kekare Tomene, or the full of grace in Luke chapter 1. And he would be the true son of David, who would be far wiser, far grander, and whose kingdom, unlike that of Solomon, would never end. The scepter of David that falls to our Lord Jesus Christ will never depart. Under Jesus, we have come to the new Kahal, the new Ecclesia, the new church, the new Jerusalem. In Hebrews 12, in verse 22, it says, quote, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. That sprinkled blood reminds us of Exodus chapter 24 when Moses sets up the twelve firstborn priests on twelve pillars and they offer sacrifices and he takes the blood from those sacrifices and he sprinkles it upon the people as the blood of the new covenant. This is the words and the language of our Lord in the upper room on the night before he was betrayed when he says this is the blood 
instituting the third cup of the Haggadah of the Passover festival into his own body and his own blood. He takes that cup and he blesses it and consecrates it, transforming it into wine from, I'm sorry, from wine into his blood, saying this is the blood of the new covenant. This language is the language of sacrifice. He is perfecting the new kahal, the new ecclesia, the new church, taking it from the old, taking it from the the Levitical priesthood, the high priest and the scribes and the Pharisees, and giving it over to 12 new patriarchs, his apostles. Jesus makes all things new. In Revelation chapter 21, we read in, in verse 2 and following, quote, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Jesus is the new Adam, the new Isaac, the new Moses, the new Solomon. Jesus takes away the church from the Levitical priesthood, the Pharisees, and he gives it to his new apostles, his new ministers in the new ecclesia. They share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 19, we read of the parable of the tenants. And who is Jesus speaking to with this parable? But to the chief priests. And what does he tell them? That he will take it away from them and give it to ones more worthy. In Matthew Uh, Chapter 28, verse 19, he tells these new men who are more worthy, these apostles, the 12 new patriarchs, to go and make disciples of all nations. You see, in John 13, 1 through 11, Jesus washes their feet. And Peter, he, he, he says, no, Lord, you may not. I should be washing yours. And Jesus says, if you do not allow me to wash your feet, you will have no share in me. The language, the Greek words used here, are specific. They mean a share in his priesthood, in his ministerial priesthood. And and Peter knows this. And so he responds, not just my feet, but my head and my hands. Why? Because Moses takes Aaron and his sons, and he is commanded by God to wash them, like Jesus does for his apostles, ordaining them as the priests. And so Jesus is ordaining these 12 men as priests in the new kahal, the new ecclesia, the new church. But what about all the sin? The answer is, we never leave Jesus because of Judas. In Luke twenty-two forty-eight, we see that Judas betrays the Son of Man with a kiss. And Jesus warned that there will be demons amongst us from from now until the end of time, Matthew thirteen twenty four through 30 the parable of the weeds and the wheat, they are not allowed to take out the weeds until the end, until the judgment. When they will all be taken, they will be sorted and sifted. The weeds burned in the fire, and the wheat go into heaven. Matthew fourteen twenty eight, we see Peter walking upon the waves because he had the faith to step out of the boat, but then he quickly grew scared. And Jesus 
comes and he rescues him. If we but affix our eyes on our Lord, we too can step out of the boat with our Lord. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1520, the Church tells us that there are sinful priests and bishops, that their sin does not affect their ability to bring us the sacraments, but their sin can scandalize us. But we must keep this into mind. We will never leave our Lord simply because of Judas. No, we trust our Lord, not man. There will always be sinners, always hypocrites within the church. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a sanctuary or a museum for saints. To leave, to defect, to dissent is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. However, obedience is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.8 And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Let us therefore be like Peter, who, even though he denied our Lord three times, by a charcoal fire, mind you, and our Lord brought him back by a charcoal fire in John 21, but it was Peter who said in John chapter 6, verse 68, quote, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. For Christ perfected the church of the people of God. He instituted bishops, instituted priests, and the sacraments. He sent them into the dark world that they might bring the light of Christ to all mankind. This is the beauty. And as St. Ignatius of Antioch in a letter to the Samaritans in 110 AD says, Let that be deemed a proper Eucharist, which is administered either by the bishop or by one to whom he has entrusted it, whether wherever the bishop shall appear, there let the multitude of the people also be. Even as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Until next time, may God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Underground.